Well, good evening. My name is Stephen. I'm the young adult pastor here. And tonight we are going to continue our series on the church. This is week three of our series of What is the Church? And um, tonight I want to talk to you about love gains. Love gains with a Z. Now, let me break this down for those who might be confused as to why the word gains ends with a Z and not an S. This is from a dictionary, an unnamed dictionary. Definition of gains with a Z is an urban derivative of the word gains with an S, referring to additional muscle mass acquired through lifting weights. The example that's given, bro, check out these sick Gains. Gets better. Example number two, because this unnamed dictionary often has two examples of word usage. Bro number one says, don't spot me, bro. Bro number two says, why not? You can't lift that. Bro number one responds, because you'd be stealing my gains with a Z. When it comes to weightlifting, um, I have a very storied, illustrious weightlifting career, have you know. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, I went to Stonebridge High School my freshman year, five feet, one inch, about 120 pounds soaking wet, with dreams of an NBA basketball career. Now, I had a lot of things not going for me in that direction of professional basketball career. One, I was very slow. Two, I was five feet one and 120 pounds. Uh, And three, my jump shot was rather erratic. But I had convinced myself as a 15-year-old freshman in high school that if I could get some gains with a Z, I could potentially play varsity basketball. And I remember stepping foot into the weight room of this high school. First time I'd ever seen a, a weight room surrounded by 17, 18-year-old guys who, you know, look like brick walls. And I'm seeing this weight room, and the first thing that greeted me was actually not something I saw. It was actually something that I smelled. It was a, uh, a thick cloud of musty, humid sweat, a wave of sweat. It smelled something like rotten eggs or like... Uh, Gym, a gym uniform that had been shoved in a locker for a couple days. When I actually lay, ho- lay eyes on this locker room or this weight room, I saw all these machines, and I was unfamiliar with all these machines, what they did. It just looked like you know, something from a spaceship, ha- spaceship had landed, just all these different machines. I'm trying to figure out their purpose, how to do it. And I just remember um, one, in, one machine in particular had a... Uh, back of a seat. And I thought that, and generally when there's a seat back, you put your back on the seat. But it had two handles right here. You guys know this machine? It's called the, uh, I think it's called like the high row. And so not knowing anything about weight machines, I looked at these two handles and saw the back of the seat and kind of turned like this and tried to do something like (laughs) It was an ugly, ugly sight. But weight rooms in general I have avoided because, one, they, they're heavy, lifting heavy things, which is not fun. Two, they're sweaty. And three, they're costly. 
I went from Stonebridge High School weight room to uh, Gold's Gym because I felt like if it was good enough for Arnold Schwarzenegger, it would probably be good enough for me. Uh, then I went to Planet Fitness because I thought, well, if I'm going to go to the gym and pay money to do nothing, I'd rather pay $10 a month. <laughs> and then after years of having no gains with a Z, I recently just joined Soldier Fit because I figured there would be some kind of spiritual analogy. Paul talks about being a soldier. I don't know. But hopefully in a couple months I'll have some gains with a Z. But tonight I want to talk to you about love gains, how to grow in love. And the text that we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Now that I've used half of my time on my introduction, I'm going to fly through this, uh, this reading. But before we do that, um, I have found that the church is very similar to a weight room. It's not the most flattering comparison, I'll, I'll give you that. But most people either don't get close enough to the people in the church so they have a positive experience or they have an experience where there is no conflict, there is no offense, there is no issue. It's almost like the person that never goes to the gym who thinks the idea of a gym is not so bad because they've never been to a gym. Or that there's some people who live a disgruntled life in the church. The type of people who go to the the weight room and, yeah, they're going to put in their work, they're going to lift their weights, but they're going to tell you how much they hate every single moment of it. So these type of people, when they come into church, they get into conflicts, they get into issues, they avoid certain people, and they're not happy about their experience. Thirdly, there are those who bounce from gym to gym, I mean church to church, looking for the latest church that has the the best new membership offer, the best worship experience, the best sermon, the best perks with the sauna and the hot tub and the whirlpool, but they just bounce from church to church. Or there are those who actually go to church, experience some of the pain that comes with relational dysfunction, some of the pain that comes with relational conflict, and actually grow through it. They make love gains. And the passage we're going to look at today shows us how we can make some of those love gains. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the last verse, the last line of this chapter, and then the first three verses of chapter 13 says, this is the Apostle Paul, I will show you a, I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. First, the bar of love. Whenever you go to a weight room, there is a bar that you have to lift. And I want you to imagine a person, spiritually speaking, who you think has gains. The Apostle Paul gives three examples of such a person. First, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, this is the tongue blaring, paint off the wall praying, anointed intercessor. Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. And that word gift, charismata, literally means gracious gifting. So these are gracious giftings from God through the Holy Spirit, things that he empowers the church to have, to possess these gifts that serve to build up 
the church, the body of believers. And he speaks very positively of these things because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things and to serve in ways that we could not do in our own strength. There are these various gifts of healing and tongues and interpreting tongues. Um, He talks about um, other gifts as well. There's a series of nine or ten of them there. And he talks about the various kinds of tongues. In this verse, the tongues of men, the tongues of angels. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles, during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in tongues. And people from all different kinds of countries hear God speaking to them in their own language. And so that's tongues of men. But also there's tongues of angels. When we speak in tongues, Romans 8 talks about Uh, the Holy Spirit interceding with us or through us with groanings too deep for words. So when I'm speaking in tongues, I'm probably not speaking in Greek or Hebrew or Latin or Spanish or Korean. I spoke to our Korean church on Sunday. I wish I had the gift of tongues in Korean. It didn't happen in that moment. But that there are these angelic tongues that we pray, a supernatural, a spiritual gift that's meant to edify ourselves, to build up our faith. Paul had a very positive view of this gift of tongues. He talked about it being something that where we pray in tongues, we're uttering mysteries by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us. It edifies ourselves. And then he even goes on to say that he speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians, which is pretty impressive because the Corinthians overemphasized the gift of tongues. They were praying in tongues all the time. They were praying in tongues in groups where you couldn't hear what was being said because everybody was praying in tongues. And instead of rebuking them by telling them not to speak in tongues, he still encourages them to continue speaking in tongues, but he puts some restrictions. He gives them some wisdom how to restrain their tongues so that the church can be built up. But the point is that in Paul's mind, the gift of tongues was a positive thing. Remember going to the prophetic gathering the first year that we had it and meeting someone from our church in the Philippines and he asked me how much I spoke in tongues. I said, well, I guess like a few minutes. And he said, I want to encourage you to pray in tongues for an hour. And I just remember an hour a day. I just remember my mouth dropping to the floor and in my mind, even to this day, when I think of spiritual gains, I think of this man from the Philippines praying in tongues for an hour. But Paul says, if we speak in tongues tongues of men, the tongues of angels, and don't have love, we are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We are producing a sound, but it is an empty, hollow sound. In fact, pagan worshipers would often pray in tongues. They would pray in tongues. And what Paul is saying is if there's no love, what you're doing when you pray in tongues is no different than what those pagan worshipers in Corinth are doing. If I'm a tongue-speaking, angelic-sounding, pray the paint off the walls and intercede like it's going out of style, prayer warrior, but don't have love, I'm just making a lot of noise. Gives a second example. He says if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. These are the read your mail type of prophets. They prophesy your social security number. And again, Paul has no beef with prophecy. He actually says to to, um, pursue the higher gifts, to pursue prophecy so that the whole church will be built up. 
The gift of prophecy allows others to be encouraged, to be consoled, to be comforted. The gift of prophecy allows someone who's an unbeliever to walk into the room and the mysteries of their heart to be revealed so that they recognize they're in the presence of God. Prophecy is a gift from God and something to be valued. And when we talk about prophetic powers, think of the examples that we have in Scripture. The examples of Moses who called on God to open up the ground and God actually listened and opened the ground and swallowed up these men, the sons of Korah, who rebelled against Moses. Think about Elijah who had called down fire from heaven. These were men with prophetic powers. All mysteries and all knowledge. That's what prophecy was for. Would lay the secrets of men's hearts bare. But the Apostle Paul talked about how prophecy, we prophesy in part. No one has all knowledge. Nobody has all mysteries. But he says, hypothetically, if somebody did, if someone was the most gifted prophetic minister, they open up their prophetic ministry and they could tell you everything about everyone, everything that you'd want to know. If they had all mountain-moving faith. Apostle Paul knew something about mountain-moving faith. He came to Corinth for 18 months preached in their synagogues. When there wasn't a lot of fruit there, he evangelized to to the Gentiles. And he saw a city that was the epicenter of the Greek gods and the Roman gods, a city that was totally opposed to God and his kingdom, experienced a revival. The church was started. It began to grow. It exploded. This was a man of mountain-moving faith. And yet he lists these three things. Prophecy. He lists these mysteries and knowledge and the mountain-moving faith, and he says, if you have these things, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. If you can prophesy a social security number, if you can give you and your mama a prophetic word, if you can read someone's mail backwards and call down fire from heaven, but you don't have love, you might as well not be at the meeting. He gives a third example, verse 3. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned. This is the 40-day fasting or living on McDonald's fries to give all your money to the building campaign looking or ready to lay out your body at the church picnic volleyball game type person who will give everything they have. For the sake of the gospel. When you think of a person who has sacrificed the most, who gives the most, who lays their life on the line for the body of Christ, that person without love has no gain. Think about the examples that we have in the Bible of people who have given. The apostles are described as sharing all their possessions. The apostle or the deacon Stephen who gave his life for the gospel. Examples we have in church history of someone like Lottie Moon, who was a Southern Baptist missionary, somebody from actually our state of Virginia, a single woman who went to China in the late 1800s, arguably expanding the role of women in missions more than any other person, who because of plague, famine, and war in China, gave all that she had to meet the needs of those around her. She actually died of starvation because she gave all that she had to the people that she was ministering to. Or when you think of examples of martyrdom, 
two women around the 200s AD, Perpetua and Felicity, who were two North African moms who were imprisoned for being Christians by the Roman emperor of their time. Perpetua's dad attempted repeatedly for her to recount her her faith or recant her faith. They even brought, her dad brought her newborn child to the prison and said, the only way you're going to see your child is if you recant. Felicity, who was two years younger, probably around the age of 18, was a slave, also a Christian, also was in prison for her faith, gave birth to to a child two days before both of them were thrown into an arena and eaten by wild animals, all for the sake of the gospel. We have numerous examples in Scripture and in church history of those who gave all of their finances, those who gave all of their lives for the gospel. And when we think of spiritual gains, we think of these people. They're heroes of the faith. So it's a pretty stark point that Paul makes to say that even if you were to give all that you have, even if you were to give your life for the gospel, if you do it without love, there's no gain. Even if we have Mother Teresa-like love, Lottie Moon type sacrifice, or Perpetua and Felicity type martyrdom, if we do it without love, we gain nothing. And you could substitute the spiritual gift that you have. Maybe it's a Billy Graham soul-winning anointing. You're an evangelist. Maybe it's a small group multiplying. You're Pastor AJ's favorite small group leader. Because every six months you're multiplying your small group. Maybe you can carry more hospitality trays and serve more services and all the events that we do here at the church. But whatever your spiritual gift is, if we do it without love, we have nothing. So what's the point? Paul's highlighted the heights of spirituality in our minds. Speaking in tongues, the read your mail type prophecy, the Mother Teresa-type sacrifice and said if love is not the motivating force, it's noisy, it's nothing, it's no gain. We can walk into a church and it's equivalent to a dude with a gallon of water in a hand, tank top with holes down to the ground, grunting and making loud noises, psyching himself up to lift that bar, but he never actually lifts any weights. Then he directs us to a more excellent way. A love that's supernatural, that produces gains. It's love. And the problem is that we're not very good at love. It's a weight too heavy for us to lift. We'd rather pray in tongues, we'd rather prophesy, we'd rather serve behind the scenes without having to interact with people because people are messy, people are offensive, people get on our nerves, people rub us the wrong way, and love involves people that are sweaty, that get on our nerves, that rub us the wrong way, that are needy. And so in this bar that he's set so high, it's very clear that only one person can lift that bar. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the heavy lifter. He's the one who, you want to talk about communicating with angels. 
He says in Matthew 26, verse 53, he's with the disciples. Peter's chopping off people's ears. And he says, do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Look, I have no problem commanding angels to come. But he didn't for the sake of love. I want to talk about prophetic powers. James and John, the disciples, are walking with Jesus. They go to this Samaritan village where the people reject Jesus and they want to channel the prophetic powers. They want to call down fire from heaven. They say, Lord, do you not want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume this Samaritan village? What does Jesus do? He turns and rebukes them. There's no love in you calling down fire on this village. I want to talk about someone who gave his life. Jesus is the good shepherd. He says in John chapter 10, verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid down my life for the sheep. There is no more pure example of love than Jesus. The only one who can lift this bar of love is Christ. He is the definition of love. He is the most excellent way. And what Paul's doing here is he's showing us the way of love, but then he's, what he wants us to do is more than just acknowledging that way, he wants us to walk in the way. It's one thing for me to admire Arnold Schwarzenegger and say, wow, look at that guy, he can lift weights, I want to be like him. Jesus lifted the heavy weight, but now he invites us to also follow the way of love. And so the question in your minds and in my mind, as we look at that bar of 400 pounds on that bench press machine, is how? How can we, as frustrated, impatient, impure, selfish, prideful people, even attempt to lift a bar of love? And that's where the context of this passage can help us because 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, the rest of the passage, love is patient, love is kind. Many of you know this passage well. It's often read at marriages and it does have implication for marriages. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a passage primarily about marriages or about weddings. It's a passage that fits within a larger context of the Holy Spirit's role in the gathering of believers. It's a passage about how to do church and life with others well. There's a bar of love that's impossible to lift except for one person, Jesus Christ. And yet Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls us to lift this bar of love and to make spiritual gains. How do we do it? How do we follow the example of Jesus? The Holy Spirit the helpful spotter. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are all about the Holy Spirit. These three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. He is our helper. He's not explicitly called that in these three chapters, but that's what he's doing. He's giving the supernatural ability to each one of us to edify, to build up the church, the body of Christ. He's empowering us 
to go beyond ourselves with these gifts that God has given us. And now he's helping us love. In fact, Jesus called the Holy Spirit helper. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. A couple chapters later, in chapter 16, verse 7 of John, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The same helper who supernaturally empowers us with these spiritual gifts helps us in this excellent, excellent way of love of our Savior. And here's how he helps us. Many of you know the verse. Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's who God is. And when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And the fruit of that spirit, love, is produced in your life. Jonathan Edwards, famous Christian theologian, talked about the effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he talked about how now through Christ, before we were enemies of God, our hearts were hearts of stone. But because Jesus changed our lives, he gives us the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we now have a fountain that's flowing of love in our lives. And the outworking of that is streams of love that touch and change those around us. Streams of love in our workplace. Streams of love in our families. Streams of love in our friendships. And streams of love in our church it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. And a good spotter. See, I appreciate, as someone who cannot lift very many weights, I appreciate a good spotter because a good spotter will help position you. Make sure your hands are in the right positions. Make sure you have the appropriate level of weight on your machine. But what a good spotter will do is that when you're lifting weights and you reach a point that you can't lift anymore. He or she will help you lift. And when you come to a situation, or let's be honest, to a person, in which you feel like you can't lift any more weight of love, you feel like there's nothing left in you to love this person, you feel like if I have to be offended one more time by a church or if I have to be looked down upon one more time by this person in this ministry or if I have to hear about one more scandal within a church or if I have to hear about one more type of spiritual abuse in a church. And then the Holy Spirit is there spotting. Say, come on, you can do this. I can help you. When you lack the strength, the Holy Spirit is there to help you lift. Paul has shown us that love is the most excellent way, more than any of the impressive spiritual gifts that we are enamored by. He set the bar of love so high that it's obvious only one person can obtain it. It's Jesus Christ. And then he shows us that the spirit, the helpful spotter, is the only one who can help us walk in this love. So we're left with one last question. Where does this love grow? Like where do we actually put it into practice? We would all love for it to be us 
and God. Just by myself in my prayer closet with Pastor Tiffany's voice singing or Pastor Brett's sermon, you know, his most anointed sermon, just me, my favorite spiritual leader, and God. The Holy Trinity right there. But that's not where God intends for our spiritual gains to take place. He places us in a spiritual gym with a spiritual family. Places us in the church. And we see these seemingly useless machines. Like when I walked into Stonebridge High School weight room, I saw a plate-loaded neck machine. It was this bizarre machine where you'd place your forehead and you'd push your forehead forward. And I thought, I will never use that machine. Why do I need to work on my neck muscles? Never touched it. Never went near it. Don't know where it was in that gym. And 15 years later, notice I started getting these nerve damage or these nerve uh, issues in, guess where? In my neck. The one place I wasn't lifting weights in. And when we walk into a church, we see people who in our eyes, we never say this out loud, but we see them as useless. They have no benefit to our busy schedules, our calling, our ministry, our service. They're the neck machine over there on the side of the gym that we have no need to put into work. And then what happens is those areas get exposed. And God had actually placed that person in our life to help us achieve spiritual gains, to grow in love. We see in the church strange machines, like that hammer strength high row I talked about earlier with the handles up there. And we think that there's something wrong with the design of the machine. Why are the handles up there? They should be over here. Not knowing that the issue is not with the machine as much as it's our approach to the machine. That perhaps we've been approaching that one person the wrong way. We see the issue is with them, but really the way they've been designed just highlights insecurity in our own self or blind or areas in our own lives that we're blinded to. And God has placed them in our lives to allow us to grow in areas that we would not have grown. You walk into a gym, some machines are sweaty. I wish it was not true, but it is true. There are sweaty machines, and it's gross when you walk into a gym with sweaty machines. And they have these containers. You know what I'm talking about, those containers, spray bottles? You spray the machines, you clean them up. Some of you guys have not been to a gym in so long. This whole sermon has just been an utter failure to you. But there's certain people that rub us the wrong way. Certain people that leave us with a residue of maybe offense. But God has given us this tool, this spray bottle called forgiveness that allows us to be cleansed from any offenses or any kind of, of hurt or pain or confusion that comes from rubbing up against people that are different from us. No matter what machine you go to in a gym, it's always going to involve lifting weights. No matter what relationship, no matter what church you go to, it's going to involve lifting weights. 
It's going to involve relationship, which is messy, which is at times strenuous, which involves forgiveness, which involves resolving conflict, which involves going through life together, even when it's challenging. And some people avoid the gym, but there's no gains. Other people find a new gym every few months with a new name, with lower startup fees, with greater amenities, but then they realize after they get in the gym that the amenities kind of wear off and that every gym has machines that are sweaty. They have people. They have people with issues. They have imperfect people and that we are a part, every single one of us are a part of that imperfect picture. If we want a perfect church, it's going to be a church without us. Have you ever seen someone, though, who has been to the gym? And you see them and you go, you recognize there's something different about you. Like, I knew you before and, you know, you were not in shape just like I wasn't in shape. Or I'm not in shape. But then you see that person and you see the gains that they've made. And you go, wow, man, have you been in the weight room? Have you been lifting a little bit? Oh, man, you, you slimmed down a little bit. You can wear that, that shirt or you can wear that dress. And what happens? It inspires you to do the same thing. See, so many of us, so many of us, we go to church, but the people around us don't see anything different from their own lives. But when we do church well together, when we sign up for relationship, even with the offenses that come, even with the situations we have to work through, when we sign up to do this thing called church together, to allow the love of God to be developed in us, to allow the spiritual gains that only come through the Holy Spirit to be worked in us, the world around us goes, that brother's been working out. That sister right there looks different. I need what she has. I need what he has. That's what the church is called to be. Amen? Amen. Father, we look at your word and this excellent way of love. And we see your son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect example of that love. And God, we recognize that we are so far, so far short of that standard. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Lord, in this room, many of us have church hurt. Many of us have been in small groups or served in ministries or been at churches. God, where we've been hurt, where our trust has been broken, So Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would heal right now. Lord, you give us the grace to forgive. You give us the grace to sign back up, to love, to do life together. Lord, so that the world would see the love that we have for one another and want that love. That they would know us as disciples of you, for our love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.